Thank you for being here today. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6 as we wrap up this book. You say, what are you going to do next week? I don't know. I really never know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do this morning, but we're going to look at Scripture together. I'm joking. I'm joking. I do prepare and uh, am prepared this morning. Bryce will be preaching tonight. I'll probably plan on being here, but I'm having him preach because I've had a big week. I had my board meeting, traveled the way up there and back. I had to do the message up there. Then I did the funeral this week. And then I don't know if I, I didn't do the men's Bible study this week, but I just had a lot traveling and going on. And um, I, I just glad I made it here on Sunday. At least I know where I am this morning. I see familiar faces. But we're looking at Galatians chapter 6, and I think we have a fifth Sunday night fellowship coming up to accommodate the chili that Harold wants, and if no one shows up, he'll eat the chili. Uh, you heard about the uh, weak-hearted man had a bad heart, and he didn't know it, but he had inherited $10 million. His wife thought, how am I going to break it to him with his sensitive heart? So she called the pastor, asked him to come over and said, could you find a way to break the news to him that he's inherited $10 million? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, he said. So he went and talked to the fellow and said, uh, listen, what would you do if you won $10 million? And the guy perked up and said, I'd give the first 10% to the church. And the pastor dropped dead of a heart attack. We're going to look at Galatians 6 in a moment. And I have to talk, I'm preaching on the cross, so I have to get back to the serious stuff, right? You know, we're willing to wear a cross, but I'm not sure if we're always willing to bear a cross. Today, the cross is a polished piece of jewelry, a tattoo, a sign in a building. But yesterday, it was a shameful instrument of pain and capital punishment. It was invented by the Persians, the, the uh, Iranians, really, and, uh, and used to punish people by crucifixion. Rome used it to punish slaves. Christ, of course, was sold for the, piece of the, sla- the price of a slave and died on the cross by means of crucifixion. Five days before the cross, he was hailed as king, and they cheered and cheered for him, and then they beat him beyond recognition, Beat his face so bad you couldn't recognize him. Isaiah 50, verse 6, says they ripped his beard out. They scourged him, meaning the Romans would use a whip with pieces of metal and glass in it to rip flesh out as they pulled back on the whip. We know that the Jewish priest would, would also mistreat him. We know he was mocked and spit upon. I mean, the crucifixion was no polished piece of jewelry. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Three crosses stood on Calvary's hill, surrounded by a mob. Two crosses bore two dying thieves and one the Lamb of God. Two crosses bore two dying thieves who justly suffered shame. The one cross bore God's sacrifice, the Lamb for sinners slain. One thief received the dying Lamb and repented of his sin. The other thief refused to hear, and he didn't enter in. He didn't enter in the cross. Let's read verse 14 together. Galatians 6, 14. We're going to read, stand with me. We're going to read verses 11 through 18 uh, as we study, but we're going to read just verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. 
C.H. Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher of the 1800s, says this represents the three crosses on Calvary. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Bless us, Lord. We need you so bad this hour. I need you to empower me. Folks need the word. There may be someone here who's not saved. That has been my prayer this week. And we just, God, ask you just to rule in this service. Rule and reign. Hide me behind the cross so people just hear the cross and the words from you and think about their situation and have compassion for others. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the context we just pulled out from, it's really connected. Paul concludes by saying, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. And we talked about that last week. And I, I find it fascinating. Last week, we didn't look at Acts 4. But in Acts 4, you find how the church responded. Everyone brought things, land and houses, and sold them and dumped the apostles at the, at the, food, uh, the money at the apostles' feet so they could take care of the poor and needy. And the church really took care of all social programs. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't uh, Social Security and Medicare and all these things we have today. Now, you earn your Medicare and you earn your Social Security, but today we have all these social programs that we use to give money to people. Many of them don't work, unfortunately, but the church has kind of been replaced, and that's kind of sad because people used to need the church, and now people don't need the church. They don't need God. Who needs God? Who needs the church? Well, every knee will bow, and everyone will at some point in time need the Lord. I certainly have needed him and still do. But we move into this next, next portion, and, and Paul uh, starts us out by saying, ye see. And this is exclamatory in the original meaning, like an exclamation point is there. You don't have that in the Greek. But the grammar indicates that he's getting their attention. Listen up. Look is what he's saying here. And he calls attention to his use of large letters. He says, ye see how large a letter I have written. Now, scholars tell us that he's talking about the fact in 415 he has bad eyesight. It says back here. He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given it to me in 415. So he admits he has bad eyes. And here he's saying, I've used very large letters. Some say it's because he wanted to really express something. Others because he had bad eyesight. There's even a small amount of people who think this is a small epistle he wrote. But that really doesn't line up because most all of his epistles are small. But we do know he had eyesight. He says, look at how large of letter, letters I've used and, of course, he says after that, and I've written with my own hand. Because there are times in the Bible, Romans 16, to be precise, Tertius, Tertius wrote for him. He dictated someone else wrote. So he's got their attention. And he wants to conclude this letter and say some things to keep their attention. And he says in verse 12 that many people want to make a show in the flesh. Of course, the word flesh, you know, is the word carnal. It's their old sinful nature. A lot of people want to be seen of men. But I'm glad God looks at the heart. Now, I'm not glad he looks at the heart when he looks at my heart and knows what's wrong in there. But I'm glad he sees the truth in society. He can see it in the world. Oh, I, I hear people, they'll, they'll have a movie star. And they say, oh, this movie star gave a million dollars to a cause. And everybody cheers. And oh, how great this person is because they gave one-tenth of one percent to some cause. And then you have... People who are living on Social Security go to church and give 10% of their check to the church. And that's a much greater percentage. And God understands the heart. He knows mine. He knows yours. 
But he said, some want to make a show in the flesh, their carnal side. They don't want to be persecuted. So they push this matter of circumcision amongst the church so the Jews don't come down on them and persecute them for not pushing their, their agenda. And, the, and, and, and the, the Jewish leaders didn't want to be persecuted, and so they persecuted other people and pressured them into being circumcised. That's what he says in verse 12. He says, uh, he, he says here, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised so they don't suffer persecution. I hate to see persecution in any Christian organization, but sometimes you find it, don't you? People who are persecuting other people for not believing like them, that happens quite a bit. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Once a year, they'd put a pinch of incense on fire, and, and they, the Romans would say, Caesar is Lord. Sometimes they'd spit on the name of Jesus on the ground or put the name of Jesus and make others spit on the name of the Lord. And, of course, that would mean for a Christian death because they wouldn't want to spit on the name of Jesus. And so persecution was really intense in the early church. Many people died for their faith. We don't have the persecution today that we had then. We kind of think we should just take a tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> you remember Tiny Tim? I was going through a Memphis airport years ago back in the 80s on the way, I guess, to or from the mission field. And there's this kind of awkward-looking guy limping along. He had a big ukulele on his back. And I thought, that I started to hear people say, Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim. He used to be on Carson and all that. Do you remember him? And he sang a goofy song, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of Christians, they, they, want, they want the Christian experience to be just a simple tiptoe through the tulips. But we are supposed to expect persecution. I mean, I think we're persecuted more in middle school than we are as adults. When we become adults, especially in the Bible Belt, you know, go up and live for God in a place like New York City and witness and preach for God, you'll have a little more pressure than you have down here. Peter says this, be, expect suffering, be elated from suffering, be exceptional by suffering, be evangelistic during suffering, and be encouraged through suffering. Peter just expected us to suffer. He suffered, he expected us to. In verse 13, it says, For they, they neither themselves are circum, uh, who are circumcised keep the law. They say they keep the law, but they don't. And they desire to you, you to be circumcised just so they can say, I've, I've won another proselyte. I've proselytized and I've got another follower of Judaism. It's this new element of Christians that got saved, sort of, but went back into the law to please the Jews. And that's what was going on here. Paul spent the whole book rebuking it. The whole book. And here he says it again. They, they want to get a pat on the back. And then we get to our main verse. And I mentioned Spurgeon picks this outline out. And I like it. I'm not saying you have to agree with Spurgeon, but it's his three-point outline. He talks here about the cross of our Lord. He said, God forbid, meaning God will not allow it to go on, that I should glory in anything except the cross. We have no right to glory in anything of our own. In other words, I can't glory on my life, any accomplishments. I can't brag on it. I can only brag on Jesus. It's because of him that I'm standing here today. It's because of him that you're sitting there today. It's because of him we have our being, the Bible says, that we even exist in this world. 
for him to even create us and give us a chance in this world to be saved. That's our Lord. And so we can't glory in anything. It says, God forbid, God will stop it that I should glory, accept or save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Master, Jesus the Messiah is what that says. And he says here three things, of course. First of all, that I should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The cross was shameful, a shameful way to die, and he died in shame. He had to, he had to be embarrassed being exposed in front of his father. The Bible said he turned his back on Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou turned your back? Why have you forsaken me? Because God hates sin. He could not look upon him. So he actually sent his son into the world to die and become shameful and sinful. And the Bible says he bore the shame, Isaiah says. Wasn't just paying for sin. It was the embarrassment of all of it. Because people ridiculed him. All the people came to the cross and thought, here are three thieves, and he can't come down from the cross. He's no savior. He's all beaten and bruised and battered. And they watched him die there. And yet, what did he say? Always gracious. Father, forgive them. I'd have said, these bunch of idiots, I'm coming down from this cross and teach them a lesson. <laughs> that, that's my arrogance. It's my pride. But he humbled himself. Bearing our shame. I'm always, you know, we always see people on the news, they're exposed for something. And their eyes covering their face in shame. You know, I, I think the, the, the worst to me, this is just to me, are the pedophiles. I, when I see them and somebody's arresting them and they're covering their face and I think about all the children they've done terrible things to, I just, ooh, I just can't stand it. And, and finally they're exposed in the shame that they bear. Or, or a, a husband or wife walk in on their partner who's in a, an act in a bedroom with someone that they're cheating with. The, the shame of all that. And I think about all the shame when my dad would catch me doing things, just small things. Now I look back and I, I, I think I, it wasn't that bad, but boy, I was ashamed when I was young. You know what? Jesus bore all that. Amen. Every bit of that. He bore all of our embarrassment, took all our guilt, took our punishment upon himself. That's our loving Lord. He bore it all. Brother Arthur was teaching on Abraham and Isaac, the offering of Isaac over there in, in the Bible. And it says the angel of the Lord, and we know who that was. The Jehovah Jireh, the, the provider, provided a lamb. And of course, that's Jesus talking there to Abraham from the Father, mediating like he always does. But it made me, made me think this morning how I wanted to go over here to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 3. Turn there with me, if you will. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. We'll just go to a few places this morning, as always. But, but I love this, because who do we see way back there? Intermediate, excuse me, mediating between God and Abraham. We see this angel of the Lord. Who is that? Who is that Jehovah? Who is that I am? You know who it is. Say that lovely name. The name Jesus. Christ is, a, is not a name, it's a title. 
That lovely name. Here's Jesus before he even received his name at Bethlehem. He's way back there in Genesis 22. He's going to provide a lamb. He eventually provides himself. But look here in 2 Chronicles. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount what? Moriah. Where did Abraham offer Isaac? Mount Moriah. And years later, there'd be a temple built on Mount Moriah. Then go over to John chapter 8 and verse 56, and then we'll go back to Galatians. John chapter 8, verse 66, verse 56, excuse me. Another great verse here. Here's Jesus talking. And he says here, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What's, what's Jesus talking about? Well, what's Abraham going to do in Genesis 22? He's going to kill his own son. And we know God intervened, stopped him. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. In Calvary, they believe, was in the same region of Mount Moriah where the temple was, where Abraham and Isaac were. What a spot. What a place. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in all three places. Thousands of years between them, but there's always Jesus. And you know what? Guess where he is today? In this temple right here. And if you're saved, he's in your temple. He never leaves you nor forsake you. He was way back in Genesis at Mount Moriah. When they built the temple, he was there. In the New Testament, he was there. And today's in my heart. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a name. And some of you need to know the person of the cross and that is none other than the Son of God, Jesus himself. You need to know the purpose of the cross. Salvation from sin. He sets us free. You need to know the, the power of the cross. Sanctification. He sets us apart. He sets us free and he sets us apart. He sets us free from sin and he sets us apart to serve him. He expects us to serve him as his children. We're supposed to be sanctified. You didn't get saved just to... Stay working. Oh, you can keep your job. Thank God for that. But you didn't just stay in this world just to work a job, to build your IRA. I say it all the time. You're here to serve God. Amen. We don't have to offer a sacrifice anymore, but we're encouraged to, aren't we? I beseech you, therefore, to offer your body a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we can't offer them a few minutes of our time, a little of our money. It's too convenient. It's too expensive. Oh, God, we can't do it. What did he do for you? Everything. Everything. My Lord did everything for me, and I didn't deserve any of it. I deserved hell. By his mercy, he saved me. That's the cross. We could never pay the debt we owe we don't even owe a debt because he took care of the debt. You see, we do owe. Oh, we can look at it from that perspective. We owe, we owe, we owe. Off to work or go. But the fact of the matter is he paid our sin debt. How can we ever pay him? Just love him, obey him. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love him with everything you have because he's loved you more than that already. He couldn't have loved you more. He couldn't have loved you more. He loves us in every way possible. I love this little story. Rembrandt, the famous Dutch artist, painted the famous three cross 
Three crosses in 1653. The painting represents a harsh depiction of the crucifixion, of Jesus hanging between two thieves. At the foot of the cross are soldiers and onlookers. As you can scan the crowd and gather at the foot of the cross, you notice how the Dutch artists captured the various facial expressions and actions of people, some laughing, some crying, others are bewildered. What's most fascinating about the painting is in a, in a, there's a lone figure standing in the shadows. And he said it's a representation of himself. He said, because I was there too, my sins help now Jesus on the cross. Amen. Think of that. Our sins put him there. He did it all for me. He shed all his blood for me. He agonized. For three hours he laid there suffering, hanging. The crucifixion is a, a terrible type of torture. You can't breathe. You have the weight on your lungs. When, when someone breaks a hip, they understand that feeling of how your, your ribs can't hold the, uh, the, the weight of your body off your lungs because your hips are broken. You don't have that body strength. A lot of people have a hip break in their old age. What happens? It's tough on their breathing. They can't get air. Crucifixion is far worse than that. Of course, you're hanging, and the only way to get air is to pull up. Well, how are your nails attached to the timber? I mean, how are your hands attached? By nails. You can't just pull up on the timber to get a breath. It's a constant battle of anguish and pain to just gasp a little breath. And you're losing blood and you're dizzy. And you're sick to your stomach, you're nauseous. Everything is going wrong with your physical body. Just read about crucifixion. Couldn't be worse. And then we also... I have to mention that, you know, he was in the center of the earth for several days. A lot of different ideas on that. But, but he, he paid our debt of sin, and then he released people from hell because we know that some people were trapped there until Jesus died. You couldn't be with God until your sin was paid for. So we don't know all the details of it. I, I can't wait to sit at the feet of Jesus I can't wait to the millennial kingdom, just that first thousand years. And listen to him explain in the temple all this stuff. Even though we're going to have the minds of Christ to know all things, we're still going to learn more. Only God could do that. That's Jesus. So you have, first of all, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, the cross of the world, represented by the lost men. Paul says here, the world is crucified like the felon was crucified on the cross. The cosmos of the world. You see, the world's theology can't save anybody. The world's theology is self-glory, self-righteousness, good deeds, good works. I've heard people say, and you have as well, I think my, my good outweighed my bad. I think I'm going to go to heaven. And you think, it's an odd way of looking at it. And there was one on the cross, a felon, who died because he didn't have the Lord's righteousness. He could probably say, you know, I wasn't always that bad. When I was a kid, I was pretty good. But there's the Messiah. And you know he gave him every opportunity. He hung next to the Lord all this time. The other one reached out, professed faith in him. But the one who went to hell didn't. So you have the cross of the world, and then as the great Spurgeon says you have the cross of the believer, represented by the believing man. Paul says this, and we do too. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. 
Truthfully, if my old nature had its way, I'd be out fishing this morning. Maybe last night I had a few too many. That's the old man. That's all he ever wants to do. I haven't had anything to drink in years, so don't worry about it. I'm not planning on a beer party next Friday night and sleeping in Sunday. <laughs> but I mean, we understand what our old natures are like. Let, let's face it. I actually had this thought the other day. I thought, I'm getting sick of having to stay slim. And I remember somebody in the church made a chocolate pie. I remember tasting it. I thought, oh, wow, I'd like to eat a whole pie. I didn't. Because I didn't have one. <laughs> you know? You know, I share my weaknesses all the time with you. You have your weaknesses. And we know how good it is and how fun it is to do what we want to do. But let me tell you something. Our righteousness is our as filthy rags. And we have to die to self. Christ dying for me was substitution. Me dying for Christ was identification. Or dying with Christ was identification. I identify with him in dying because he died. A little note here, the world is dead as far as we're concerned, and we're dead as far as the world's concerned. Now look at verse 15, back in our text. It says here in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, that's Messiah Jesus, usually when it lists the title first, it's emphasizing his headship. When Jesus' name, it's usually the uh, humanity emphasized when they put Jesus first, Jesus Christ. He says, neither is there circumcision, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. In other words, those things are meaningless to God. You say even baptism, baptism is a sign of obedience, absolutely. But when it comes to your salvation, they're meaningless. They don't save you. Amen. Circumcision doesn't avail anything uncircumcision doesn't avail anything. Your works, your baptism, none of it matters if you're without Christ. You'll just go to hell. You can go take mass if you want to. Won't help you. And one denomination says if you're baptized, you go to heaven. Won't help you. Only faith in Jesus Christ. It says only a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. On Christ, that solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In verse 16, he says this. And as many as walk according to this rule. What rule? Well, they used to take a piece of wood, a straight piece of wood, and they would attach it to something to kind of straighten it out or keep it straight. And he's saying that we need to measure by this rule. If you walk according to this rule. Salvation by faith all dependent on him, obeying his scripture. But only a new, creature, new, creation, new creation matters. And so everyone's guilty by this rule. He says here, <clears throat> anything no answer, but a new creation, as many as walk according to Israel, peace be on them and mercy upon the house of Israel. In, in Psalms, several places, it talks about peace on Israel, peace on Israel, peace on Israel. New Testament talks about peace with us. There's no, therefore now no condemnation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're obedient to his salvation, to his Bible, to his book, you're going to have peace. If not, you have turmoil. Every week, I guarantee there's someone in here with turmoil. Someone sitting here says, really struggling financially. Really struggling with my mate, with my child. Financially, I'm having a hard time. I can't, I can't, I just don't understand. My life 
there's just so many things wrong. Let me tell you something. Start with obedience and salvation and then obey him in his book and trust him for his leadership and you'll have peace. But without it, you'll have turmoil. You have turmoil because things aren't right in here and you can feel that he wants to save you and wants to come into your life, but you're resisting it because of what you love to do. Your old nature is hindering you. I don't know what it is, but I'll guarantee there are always people without peace sitting in church. And if you want his peace upon you, you need to listen to him. Now I want to say to our folks, as we look at verses 17 and 18, Verse 18 closes the whole book. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a great ending. But I'm going to actually conclude with verse 17. Because I want you to just think about Paul, what he did and what God expects of us. He says here, from henceforth, let no man trouble me. What does he mean? Well, Paul wasn't even received as an apostle. People said he shouldn't be an apostle. He wasn't one of those who followed Jesus. He hated Christians. He treated them bad. We don't even trust Paul. And he needs to prove to us that he's really called of God. And he says here again, no man's going to trouble me. He says, I have proof that I follow the Lord. And what was his proof? I bear in my body the marks. This word originally came into being a word that meant a severe beating. We know Paul was whipped several times by Jews and Romans. The Jews would whip him. The Romans would scourge him. We, we understand that. He was in the deep. He was shipwrecked out in the water a couple of times and barely, barely hanging on for life. He was stoned and stoned so bad they thought he was dead. And he actually felt he went to heaven for a few moments. I mean, this man was in prison and he was hungry at times, he said. He was run out of towns by mobs and uh, church people gave him trouble. I mean, what a challenging life to live. He says here, I bear in my body marks. And you know the word. It's a Greek word you're familiar with. It's the word stigma. Stigma. You say, what is that, Brother Dan? You ever have a stigmatism in your eye? It's a word that means a scar or a marking. If you have an eye problem, they go in, they can now surgically correct these stigmas, I think. I'm not sure, but some of you know more than I do about that. But some of you have bad scars and, and things on your body where you had a bad wound. A, a military man may come home all shot up and have bad wounds. A burn will create a terrible wound. Seen people before with terrible, terrible scars on their face. One fellow I knew had gone through a terrible fire. His whole face was that horrible burnt skin. Paul says, I bear in my body these marks, this stigma, these brands on my body. Look over to Exodus chapter 21, verse 6. Last verse, Exodus 21, verse 6. Here's how they treated servants. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the post door, and the master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. They take this metal thing, uh, sort of like a chisel, but a round, sharp thing, and they put his ear up against the door, and they drive a hole in it to mark the slave. And that's what Paul's saying here. 
I bear in my body the marks. I belong to him. And if he could do that on Calvary, Paul certainly felt he could do what he did in this life. Willing to identify with him in suffering. Roman soldiers were marked. They had a little thing they'd put on them, a scarring thing, a scar them, and hurt them to, to mark them. It, it spoke of the emperor. Heathen people were marked for their gods. And of course, here's Paul. He says, I bear in my body the marks. My question to you is, are you willing to do more than wear a cross? Are you willing to bear one? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Uh, if we really, really have faith that everything's going to be reality, our giving would never be hindered. We'd give, give, give. We really believe we're investing in heaven? Boy, we'd give. If we really believe we're going to spend eternity and get crowns for serving the Lord, oh, we'd serve him. There's actually a crown given for suffering. For the trials we experience. If we really believe we're going to be blessed that much, why then aren't we willing to count the cost to suffer for him and to bear a cross? We're supposed to pick up the cross and follow him daily. We think it's tough if somebody ridicules us because we're a believer. We, th we think it's really hard if somebody says, you go to church two or three times a week? What are you carrying a Bible around for? We think that's persecution. They counted the cost <clears throat> and lived through it. Paul knew what it would be like. You know why? Because he was one of the worst when it came to treating people badly. Paul went around killing Christians. And he thought he was doing the right thing because he said they're heretics. The law said they're heretics, stoned them. And so Paul was finding these so-called sect of Christians and he was putting them to death. He was doing the right thing. He's a good old Pharisee. When he met Jesus, he realized, oh, I've been doing a terrible thing. I've been harming the children of God. And the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? Because when you hurt one of God, you're hurting God. Why are you doing this, Paul? Paul had been under conviction. He was a miserable man. So when he got saved, you know what he knew? Now that I'm one of those, it's all going to happen to me. He was thrown out of synagogues, mistreated all the time. He bore in his, mark, his body the marks. That's my question today. If you really want to be a Christian, are you willing to suffer for his namesake? Are you really willing? That's the question. Where do you stand today with the Lord? I haven't suffered much at all. I've been through a war and earthquakes and I guess 40 hurricanes in a flood. Had kidney stones. Pretty much we all have that normal amount of suffering in our life. Hip replacement. I'm an old man, I guess. We have all that stuff, you know. But think of Paul and how those early Christians really, really, really suffered. And if that doesn't do you uh, any good and that doesn't challenge you, think about Jesus and how he suffered. He suffered for you and for me. Let's bear a cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you. I don't deserve to bear a cross, Lord. I certainly don't deserve to be saved or to suffer, but I have to count it joy to suffer. And our, our little suffering's nothing to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed, but we do suffer. But Lord, help us to be willing to suffer all the way 
till you call us home. Because we don't know what holds for America for the future. We may be called to suffering before we know it. And help us, Lord, to count the cost today and be willing to suffer for you. Bless and thank you, God, for sending Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.